Good morning, everybody. We are ready to get started here. Second petition of the uh, of the Lord's Prayer. There we go. All right. Good to see everybody this morning, and welcome if you're joining us on the conference call. We're glad to, to have everybody in Bible study this morning. We're going to be picking up our second petition of the Lord's Prayer. This is also the same lesson that the children have in the family Bible study. So uh, maybe it will give you, if you're not in the family Bible study, some things to talk about with your family as well. And I'm just going to, first of all, any announcements that we need to make this morning? All right, good. Let's go ahead and begin with our prayer. Thank you, gracious Lord, for our Sabbath rest and for our worship and also for our study and meditation and learning in your word. You said, uh, come to me and learn. And we come together to learn uh, about your prayer here for us and about your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, to begin with, I have uh, on the handout, uh, the, we're going to start with the small and large catechism, and then we're going to go to scripture readings on the back. Uh, so let's begin with uh, the small catechism. Thy kingdom come, what does this mean? The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer of itself. But we pray in this petition that it may come unto us also. How? Well, when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit, so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead a godly life here in time and yonder. Oh, I love that. And yonder in eternity. <laughs> uh, gosh, that, uh, that translation is... must have been a Texan involved in that translation. Um, all right. So... Um, Let's, let's take a look at the, I, I introduced you last week to the, the book of concord.org, so you can get all of this online. Um, I can't really blow it up on this device any more than that. It goes off the, off the page. Uh, but I want to um, uh, look at a few, look at, I'm going to read each of the paragraphs. Again, the, the large catechism is, is a small book, a thin book. The uh, small catechism is a pamphlet. And uh, easily we could memorize the small catechism. And the large catechism, really the larger catechism, is just a little bit bigger than that. So let's take a look at um, the second petition. And we're just going to read through the paragraphs. I pulled out some key sentences and we'll highlight some key words there. Uh, so as we prayed in the first petition concerning the honor and name of God that he would prevent the world from adorning its lies and wickedness with it, but cause it to be esteemed sublime and holy both in doctrine and life. I want you to notice throughout this discussion of the kingdom, uh, Luther is going to emphasize doctrine, believing, and life, uh, living, and uh, uh, you know, showing your faith in God's word by the way you live your life so that he may be praised and magnified in us. So here we pray that his kingdom also may come. But just as the name of God is in itself holy, and we pray nevertheless that it be holy among us, so also his kingdom comes of itself without our prayer. 
Yet we pray nevertheless that it may come to us, that is, prevail among us and with us, so that we may be part of those among whom his name is hallowed and his kingdom prosper. So, little sentence I pulled out of there, just as the name of God is holy in itself, so the kingdom comes of itself, itself. So the kingdom comes, it's God's kingdom, and he's, the, he's um, all-powerful, and he brings that kingdom uh, to, to us. And yet, we, he teaches us, this is kind of the paradox of Jesus, you know, he teaches us to pray, nevertheless, for these things. Let's go to the second paragraph. But what is the kingdom of God? Answer, nothing else than what we learned in the creed, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, into the world to redeem and deliver us from the power of the devil and to bring us to himself and to govern us as a king of righteousness, life and salvation against sin, death, and an evil conscience, for which end he has also bestowed his Holy Ghost, who is to bring these things home to us by his holy word and to illumine and strengthen us in the faith by his power. Okay, uh, God sent his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, into the world to redeem and deliver us from the power of the devil and to bring us to himself and to what? As a king of righteousness. Govern. So this is a kingdom. It's a government. It's, we're talking about a kind of government here, a divine, uh, holy government. Uh, and we're also contrasting the government, you might say, of the devil, the kingdom of the devil uh, versus the kingdom of God. Uh, if you remember in our baptism, right, uh, sacrament of baptism, we begin you know, by pointing out uh, we would be lost forever unless delivered by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are under the power and dominion of the devil uh, until we are delivered into God's kingdom by the Holy Spirit. All right, next paragraph. Therefore, we pray here in the first place that this may become effective with us, and that his name be so praised through the holy word of God and a Christian life. Notice that, again, the word of God, Christian life, that both we who have accepted it may abide and daily grow therein, and that it may gain approbation. There you go. There's your new vocabulary word for the day. <laughs> approbation and adherence among other people and proceed with power throughout the word that many may find entrance into the kingdom of grace, be made partakers by, of redemption, being led thereto by the Holy Ghost, in order that thus we may all together remain forever in the one kingdom now begun. So, key sentence, that through the word and the power of the Holy Ghost, thy kingdom may prevail among us, and the kingdom be, and the kingdom of the, what? Devil, okay, I got to There's two different passwords, folks. There's a guest. Make sure you're on the guest, uh, and you should be able to get on to that. Um, I have to keep the other one separate be, so that the uh, staff can have access to that. Is everybody finding the guest Wi-Fi okay, if you're, if you're interested in that? Okay. Um, all right, so what is our, our, uh, the kingdom of the what be put down? Oh, did I skip it? I'm sorry. Uh, that is, 
uh, oh yeah, and may gain approbation and adherence among the people and proceed with power throughout the world. Uh, the kingdom of God has power. Uh, next paragraph, there is jumping ahead. Um, for the coming of God's kingdom to us occurs in two ways. First, here in time, through the word and faith, and secondly, in eternity forever through revelation. Now we pray for the, both those things that it may come to those who are not yet in it. And that's an interesting thing. This is where we have a lot of um, things to think about in terms of evangelism when we are praying, thy kingdom come. And by daily increase to us who have received the same and hereafter in eternal life, all this is nothing else than saying, dear Father, we pray, give us first thy word that the gospel be preached properly throughout the world, and secondly, that it be received in faith and work and live in us, so that through the word and the power of the Holy Ghost, thy kingdom may prevail among us, and the kingdom of the devil be put down, that he may have no right or power over us until at last it shall be utterly destroyed and sin, death, and hell shall be exterminated, that we may live forever in perfect righteousness and blessedness. There was our other blank that I had jumped ahead on, the kingdom of the devil. Uh, paragraph 5, from this you perceive that we pray here not for a crust of bread or a temporal perishable good, but for an eternal, inestimable treasure and everything that God himself possesses, which is far too great for any human heart to think of desiring if he had not himself commanded us to pray for the same. But because he is God, he also claims the honor of giving much more and more abundantly than anyone can comprehend, like an eternal, unfailing fountain, which the more it pours forth and overflows, the more it continues to give. And he desires nothing more earnestly of us than that we ask much and great things of him. And again, is angry if we do not ask and pray confidently. All right, so from this you perceive that we pray here not for a crust of bread, right? Not little petitions, but big petitions. Also notice that he's, he's, he's kind of saying that the material things that people so often think is the heart of all prayer you know in the Lord's Prayer it's only really one petition give us this day our daily bread it's all these other things of the spirit and of the kingdom that are really the greatest treasures and um, and so that's kind of where he's uh, leading us here a little bit uh, next paragraph uh, for just as when the richest and most mighty emperor would bid a poor beggar ask whatever he may desire and we're ready to give great imperial presents and the fool would beg only for a dish of gruel he would be rightly considered a rogue and a scoundrel who treated the command of his imperial majesty as a jest and sport and was not uh, worthy of coming into his presence so also it is a great reproach and dishonor to God if we, to whom he offers and pledges so many unspeakable treasures, despise the same or have not confidence to receive them, scarcely venture to pray for a piece of bread. Unspeakable, so to whom he offers and pledges so many unspeakable treasures, let's see, despise the same or have not the 
confidence to receive them, but scarcely venture to pray for a piece of bread. And then last of all, all this is the fault of the shameful unbelief, which does not look to God for as much good as will satisfy the stomach, but much, much less expects, expects without doubt such eternal treasures of God. Therefore, we must strengthen ourselves against it. And let this be our first prayer. Then, indeed, we shall have all else in abundance, as Christ teaches. Uh, Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. For how could he allow us to suffer want and be straightened, straightened in temporal things when he promises that which is eternal and imperishable? How could he allow us uh, to be in want and to be uh, straight? There's another fancy word, right? Straightened in temporal things when he promises that which is eternal and imperishable. All right, so God's kingdom uh, versus the kingdom of the devil. And as you turn the page over, let's go into a little discussion here because another contrast that we'll be thinking about in this petition is the contrast between the kingdom of God and all the other kingdoms of men, the governments and nations of the world, which is, of course, a topic of great concern and great interest and always has been in the history of the world, really. Who's the king? Who's in charge? You know, where, what country are you from? Which country is the greatest? Um... You know, is China going to overtake the United States? Uh, what should Christians think about some of these things? What about kingdoms and nations? Uh, every kingdom or nation on earth is continually plagued with problems. Why? Why would that be? The citizens are all sinners. And... The leaders are all sinners, right? <coughs> Have you noticed, uh, I don't know, I've noticed this a little bit, uh, picking it up a little, some vibes, I guess, in some of my family members, and it must be a thing out there right now about, well, you know, maybe the United States isn't the best country to live in. You know, maybe I ought to go, have you been hearing that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I ought to go somewhere else. You know, like, Austra I, I've heard like Sweden, you know, or, or Norway. Uh, maybe I ought to go there. Maybe that'd be a better country to live in. Better like snow, I guess, if you go up there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's the first time I've ever heard uh, that kind of talk in our country. <laughs> um, what do you think that means? I don't know. It also begs the question, why then do we have so many people wanting to get into our country? Do they know more than us? That's a great question. Yeah, so, uh, so, so some are saying in the United States, maybe we should go somewhere else. Maybe this isn't the greatest country in the world. But yeah, why then do people go through such difficulties? You know, unless they're crossing the southern border. Um, but I know I've worked with people in immigration. You know, we had uh, a deference from Ethiopia. I helped him uh, his, for his wife and two daughters uh, to immigrate to the United States. It was a hassle. I had to go to John Shimkus 
Representative John Shimkus, and John Shimkus had a secretary who used to work in immigration, and she knew the bureaucracy there, and she helped get that family uh, to the United States. But, I mean, it took a long time. It took a couple years of effort uh, to get that done. Uh, and there's just a, there's so many people who want to come to this country. Um, and, yeah, and so, I don't know. Um, but there are people who think maybe there's a better place. Uh, Pastor Packer. Uh, one thing that's really helped me is the kingdom can be translated empire. Yeah. Because I think we're more familiar with empires than kingdoms. And when an empire rejects God and his word, they become in the Bible a Babylon. Yeah. Um, trying to displace the empire of God, the kingdom of God. And then when they turn on the, the church, they become a beast. Mm-hmm. Devour the church. So I found it's a very helpful way to look at history and to look at current situation with things. Mm-hmm. You understand that these empires are becoming Babylons or trying to take over the empire of gods um, and force it out. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, the Roman Empire, Pastor Packer said the word kingdom could also be translated empire. An, an empire has a what? An emperor, right? A kingdom has a king. Basically the same thing, though. Um, and, and right, and the, the, the question is, you know, what is the relationship between these different governments and God's kingdom? And... We are fortunate enough to live in a country that at least from, at least for quite a long time, we live in a, have lived in a country that has a respect for the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's mentioned um, uh, definitely in the, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, right? Even mentions God, uh, the Creator. So... That's a, that's a blessing that we should not uh, take for granted. There are other, other countries, you know, that are completely against um, uh, any, any teaching about God and, and, and certainly about his, his kingdom. So that's a, that is a, uh, something we have to, you know, we'll always have to struggle with that. And uh, Pastor Packer mentions, you know, that, that we have governments, they, they vary in their like or dislike of God's kingdom. And the more they get on that dislike uh, side of things, you know, that's when, then that's when things get bad. Uh, and that's when persecution occurs. The book of Revelation speaks to this. I've mentioned this before, the, the two beasts in the book of Revelation. And there you have false religion and government both working together against God's kingdom and against God's people. And that's something that John in the Revelation promises, basically, that that's going to happen from the, you know, till the end of time. This is going to be a struggle uh, that, that, that goes on. Um, all right. Um, well, let's take a look at the Bible verses then. These are some really great Bible verses that address um, the, the kingdom of God. And we're going to start with uh, one of the most famous the Gospel of John, chapter 18. This is the trial of Jesus. And uh, one of the more famous uh, government 
workers <laughs> uh, in history. The one guy, I mean, there have been other great, you know, there have been like Alexander the Great and the Caesars, of course, you know. Um, now here you have old Pontius Pilate. You think about it. His name gets mentioned every Sunday all over the world. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Poor guy. Um, yeah. Well, wouldn't it be awesome to get to heaven and find out that Pontius Pilate became a Christian in the end? Um, we know that the way he is portrayed in the gospel, he, he, he doesn't seem to be one of those kings or rulers that's against, against Jesus, right? He, he's kind of neutral toward him. So let's look at this, chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of the world. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Wow, there's this classic, maybe epic, you know, sort of uh, uh, confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. The two kingdoms of men represented here. We have uh, Judea on the one hand, uh, who they are, you know, trying to prosecute Jesus and get him killed. And then you have Pilate, the occupying a representative of the occupying empire of Rome. Um, and, and here you have Pilate uh, trying to follow the rule of law, right? This is one of the things the Roman Empire was known for. Uh, we have laws, and everybody has to keep the laws. Uh, did they do it perfectly? By no means. But at least they were trying, which you could say is a lot better than most empires that have risen. Uh, anyway, uh, Pilate tries to, uh, tries to free Jesus. But I think the key thing here is verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's the thing we're going to have to always keep in mind. Where does it come from? Well, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll see why Jesus said the kingdom is not of this world. You'll remember this verse. It's uh, a verse uh, a favorite of us for the Advent and Christmas season. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So on our digital sign for Independence Day, I put these words, uh, truth, justice, peace. This is, I think, one of the great problems going on in our country right now. Everybody wants peace, right? And to have peace, you have to have justice. I mean, the criminals have to be suppressed, and the people who do good need to be uplifted. And that's, as, and we'll see as we'll look at the last Bible verse from Romans 13, uh, and we could add in First Peter, Peter chapter 2, uh, this is basically what the, the earthly government's job is, according to God. But all of that rests on truth. And if you throw truth out, then I, I like to say it this way, no truth, no justice, no justice, no peace. If you throw truth out, then you have nothing left but power. Who has the power? Power determines whatever is right, not some abstract concept or agreement that all people have of what the truth is. And when people don't have that anymore, then what takes over is struggle. And, uh, you know, king of the hill kind of uh, approach to life. This is a terrible thing that happens in governments and really is happening in ours right now because there are a lot of, more and more people have been converted to this idea that there's no such thing as truth. And that leads to all sorts of um, inability to, to, um, to acquire any form of justice, uh, again, because uh, you have no standard to, to agree to, to live by. And, and so this is, this is the tragedy. Uh, let's go on. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Getting into Jesus now and, and Jesus uh, uh, beginning at the beginning of his ministry here. Um, chapter 1, verse 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Uh, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the key to this kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the, really the essence of what it means to enter into this kingdom. What do you have to do to become an American? Let's see. Do we have anybody that's gone through the immigration process here this morning? I don't think we do. Uh, but I remember working with Artemio Luna. Artemio comes to Saturday night service a lot. And I went to his, um, what do they call that ceremony? Um, anyway, the, it was up at Alton. And it was a real, if you've never been to one of those, uh, they are really interesting. Uh, I sat in an auditorium, and there were people from all over the world. They had like people from Mexico and Germany and Sweden and Africa and India, and 
They were from all over the world, and they all um, were becoming United States citizens. And they, they had to uh, do this oath thing where they all stood up and, and, and made, made an oath. And uh, I can't remember. You can, you can look it up. Somebody could probably look it up online right now if you wanted to, I guess. But uh, I recall, you know, I think it was, you know, they had to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And that was kind of the key to, to their becoming American citizens. Papers, uh huh. You, you had to sign that you renounce. Oh. Renounce your. Okay. That's interesting. The czar. Okay. Yeah. So Mary is talking about J Jim's grandfather. Your grandfather, when he came from Russia, had to, as part of his naturalization, had to renounce the czar. I wonder what happened to my. Uh, great grandparents, if they, I don't, I can't see them renouncing Germany, <laughs> but they must have, they must have uh, had to do that. Um, the czar may not be as hard to renounce, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, that's um, that's uh, so. What, what that's interesting that you bring that up, Mary, because. Again, going back to the baptismal rite, what do we renounce at the beginning of every baptism? We renounce that kingdom. We renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways. Yeah. So there is a pastor in Germany. Uh, I didn't get to see him when I was over there. He's in Dresden. And he is baptizing many, many Muslims. Lots of Muslims are coming in into his church. And... Um, uh, in the baptism ceremony, I think, I think probably at that same part where you renounce the devil and all his works, they have to renounce the Quran. He, he actually has them publicly renounce the Quran, which is pretty significant. Uh, I think he can kind of get away with it. From what I can tell in Germany, the Muslims in Germany are kind of different from some of the Muslims that we might be used to, you know. <laughs> I think are the ones I'm more familiar with. Jeff, like your friend, uh, where's Jeff Blassing? Yeah, 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 remember what was his name? Uh, Here. Yeah, I, he came from Egypt, maybe. Uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Okay, so a lot of the Muslims that that are coming to America, Afghanistan, Yemen, definitely more Middle Eastern. Germany, they're more like from Turkey. And that's a little different animal there. The Turks have always been a little more, as far as Islam goes, they're, they're more moderate, and put it, I think put it that way. And that's kind of what I noticed uh, about uh, what I saw of the, the Muslims in Germany. I think they, um, uh, maybe, not as, maybe not as radical, maybe, as, as some of uh, others uh, there. But anyway, uh, these are... This, this is the kingdom um, that God has called us to. And it's not a kingdom of... Uh, think about what we... So I said in the United States, we, we ascribe to the uh, Constitution. So there's a lot of principles in the Constitution, laws, rights, freedoms that are, that are, that are said there. But in God's kingdom, so we have to agree to what? If we're going to repent, what do we have to agree to? 
the law, the Ten Commandments, right? We have to agree to the law. And if we're going to believe the gospel, what do we have to agree to or believe in? Yeah, basically the Apostles' Creed, the gospel, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the essence of coming into God's kingdom. It gets, uh, Paul emphasizes that again for us in Colossians. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse, verses 13 to 14. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right. Um, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's the key to this kingdom. It is a kingdom of dealing with sin. Uh, all right. And again, Stop me, ask questions, comments at any point, uh, but let's go to Luke 17. And while we're looking that up, again, if you have any questions, raise your hand and I'll try to catch it. But we're in Luke 17, verse 20. Again, understanding what the kingdom of God is. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or um, that is, um, look at, there's a, this ESV has a footnote there. So we've got a little bit of translation issues. And the footnote number 10 says, Or within you, or within your, group, your grasp. All right, so... People have kind of debated this translation a little bit. Let me ask you this. What do you think, how would you take it if we translated it, the kingdom of God is within you? What does that seem like it's saying about the kingdom of God? Terry? The Holy Spirit, baptism. It's a, king, it's a kingdom of faith, right? A kingdom of the Spirit. It's not something that you can... And detect outwardly, like how do we, you know, how do you know where people are from? What can, what countries are people from usually? What are some ways that we would know you're from that country? You're from that country? You're from that country? Accent. Language, accents, clothing, dress, all sorts of things like that, right? But but in the kingdom of God, we could meet somebody from Africa, very different outward culturally, but inwardly, we have the same spirit. In the same faith, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Um, so, uh, uh, along these same lines, uh, John uh, 3, verse 5, Jesus and Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, so, this is a kingdom of, of faith uh, and, and not of the, uh, you know, in an outward uh, kind of fleshly way. And that is also the reason why this kingdom cannot be forced onto anyone. It has to be a kingdom in, that we enter uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit and through faith. Romans 14, verse 17 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And uh, then we get to the coming kingdom of judgment and judgment day. So let's go to Matthew 25. The, Jesus is talking about the uh, final judgment there. And in verse 34, um, the king, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this is ultimately where it's leading as we come to, um, well, basically the way, the way this is, the way the Bible teaches us is that what we have really is a kingdom of God uh, operating within the kingdoms of men. And, but yet one day this is all going to be separated. So the kingdom of God will be separated out from the kingdoms of men. And let's think about that. Why is, why should we be happy, why should we be glad that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is right now mingled into all the kingdoms of men. You know, there is, a, there is a, a, an, a thing in the Bible about wanting that to be over with, right? As we, we see that, you know, the Maranatha prayer, come Lord Jesus. You know, this is the prayer of the persecuted. They're like, come on, uh, you know, how long does this have to go on? Uh, people are suffering around the world. They want Judgment Day to come. And, and so, um, uh, it, and yet it doesn't come yet. Why? And why is it important that it's not come yet? Terry? Isn't there a scripture that says, you know, why hasn't the weeds been pulled from the crop? Right. But that if that happens, you damage the crop. And so by doing that now, Christians could also be damaged and could turn away. Yeah. It's all about bringing, as we said, let's go back to the petition. Thy kingdom come. We are praying for the kingdom to come to us, but also through us to others, right? So the reason we're all mingled together is because God's still saving you know, God is patient, Second uh, Peter. Uh, he, he's he's br waiting and bringing all to repentance. And so this is why the Maranatha prayer is not yet answered. <laughs> it will be answered, but it's not yet answered. And in the, in the meantime, we continue to struggle, uh, suffer, and yet at the same time rejoice uh, because... <coughs> You know, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So uh, every time there's a baptism, every time there's a confirmation, every time people are living by their faith, that's a great thing in which we uh, rejoice. Um, to save, well, let's just go really quickly to Revelation 11, verse 15. Um, then the seventh trumpet blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever 
So this is John seeing this in this vision, this revelation of what is to come. It will ultimately be, you know, the God's kingdom that prevails over all things. Philippians 3, 20. Let's go to that. And then we'll get to Romans 13 and wrap it up here. Philippians 3.20, a beautiful verse, a good reminder to all of us. Um, you know, this is like when you're in your family and maybe some of the political discussion gets a little hot. And uh, this would be a good verse to bring out at some point, you know. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our kingdom and um, uh, I, I think that that is a really, really important um, principle for, it's, it's important both for God's kingdom, but also for the kingdom of men. I think one of the reasons why, the one, a, a good reason why a, a kingdom of men would be, be prosperous and successful is if most of the citizens believe that, and then they wouldn't take their government so seriously. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, well, so a few weeks ago, I, I, uh, I kind of put a, uh, little kibosh on Dennis Prager, uh, cause he was, he taught, he's teaching some nonsense about the Lord, about the 10 commandments and the sixth commandment in particular, like, you know, it's okay to look at pornography. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's because that's, that's kind of the sort of the pharisaical view of the Ten Commandments. You know, it says adultery. If I didn't commit adultery, then, you know, I haven't broken that commandment. That, that's the way the Pharisees taught. They, they didn't... Jesus came teaching about the intents of the heart and showing that all these outward commandments have a root, and the root of them is in the thoughts of our heart. The Pharisees never liked to hear that um, because that would mean they would be in constantly on their knees repenting. But remember, that was not their thing. Um, Jesus said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a tax collector, one was a Pharisee. It was a tax collector who prayed, have mercy on me, uh, right? A sinner, which, by the way, we use in our liturgy, right? Uh, that is the same words that we put in our mouths as well. Anyway, um, uh, uh, to, to, give him, to give him some credit, you know, it's not all, all wrong, all bad, these guys. You know, you've got to filter things out. But he did say something uh, I heard not too long ago that was pretty good. He said, um, and you think about this a little bit, big God, little government. No God. I didn't get that. Could you try again? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand. They're listening to me. Stop. <laughs> um, Wow, I started talking about the government, and, and look what happens, right? Um, but, you know, big God, little government, you know, little God, big government. So what he's saying is, is that if you have a trust in God, then you don't see the government as the most important thing. In, in life. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. And so you can take a step back from it and you don't take it so seriously. But for people who don't really have any faith in God, 
their faith really is transferred now to the government. Government becomes everything for them. And, you know, and that's where the trouble really begins and the power struggles uh, begin to happen. And so uh, last verse is Romans 13, uh, where Paul explains kind of the relationship between God's kingdom and the governments of the world. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, he must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, for the same reason also you pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So there is, so Paul is saying and, and pointing out that even men, the governments of men are, are instituted and appointed ultimately by God. They wouldn't exist unless God was allowing them to exist. This is basically what Jesus says to Pilate as well. You wouldn't have any authority over me unless it had already been given to you by God. And so this is why we have to have a respect for the governments of men, imperfect as they may be, uh, realizing that it, you know even if they accomplish a little bit of what God wants them to accomplish, that's a good thing. That's what God's plan is, and we should be thankful for that. Um, think about it this way. If we had z you know, zero government, what would we have? Nothing but chaos, law of the jungle, and uh, you know, that, that would be very, very bad. So, all right, any last questions as we finish up our discussion of God's kingdom, thy kingdom come? Um, I picked up a hymn I'd like to sing. Um, I think most of you recognize the, the hymn here. I love your kingdom, Lord, the place of your abode. The church, our blessed Redeemer, saved with his own precious blood. Beyond my highest joy, I prize its heavenly ways, its sweet communion, solemn vows, its hymns of love and praise. I love your King, O God, your saints in every land, dear as the shall last to Zion shall be
the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. And we'll close with a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your kingdom that you have brought us into by the Holy Spirit in repentance and faith and living that faith according to your word for the world to see that you may continue calling, gathering, and enlightening your people, bringing more into your kingdom until you come again on the last day to establish that kingdom and separate it from all the evil things of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.